let him ask of God, that gives to all men liberally, and upbraids not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Now, when we see verse 5, did any of you lack wisdom? We've got to remember to keep this in the context of where this is written. What was the verse above? It was what? Can it all joy when you fall into many temptations? So why should we pray for wisdom? We pray for wisdom, keeping the context. So when we are in many temptations, we will have the wisdom of God to withstand those tests to withstand those temptations. Now, the temptation that we're going to talk about tonight, the one that we need wisdom for, is the wisdom of this world. In this culture, not very many, as of right now, undergo what we would call physical persecution. But we live more and more in a society that is against, one, the things of God, or two, the morality of God. In our lifetime, we have seen a radical change. Now, I've been reading a book written in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And they were seeing the groundwork for what's happening now. So this is not like it's an overnight thing. But over the last hundred plus years, slowly, 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 we have seen the wisdom of man begin to really become the dominant culture. Now, the Apostle Paul, follow with me to the book of Acts. And we'll be going to the 17th chapter. In a lot of Paul's writings, we see him writing about the Jews and they're dealing with him. And as we know, not favorable. Rarely do we see a glimpse of Paul's relationship with the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, those who worship false gods, or in the case of what we're going to be looking at in Acts 17, the philosophy of the time. When we look at Greece, we know it is the home of Aristotle, of Plato, of Socrates, and many, many philosophers that even in our time is still highly respected and highly regarded. Well, Paul, when he goes into Greece, 
Now understand, throughout all the areas where Paul ministered, they had a Greek influence. But the Greek influence was completely the dominant culture when he walked into Athens. This is a place where when Paul walked in, it's all about either the Greek gods or the Greek culture or the Greek philosophy. Chapter 17. Let's start with verse 18. As I mentioned, Paul is in Athens here. What does it say? Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Now, by looking at this line, I really want to establish the relationship between the philosophy of our time and the philosophy that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, he's in Athens. And what do these learned philosophers call Paul? A babbler. Now, what do the philosophers of this era, what do they call us? I'm going to use some blunt language here, more blunter than babbler. They call you an idiot and they call you stupid. Let's be honest. That's what they're calling you behind your back. How would you know? Because I went to a college. I know what happens behind the scenes in philosophy-type driven classes. They're not very complimentary to believers in Jesus. The more educated a person is, unless they are a true believer in Jesus, they look down their noses at believers in Jesus. Yet we as a church, not all of us, but so many, they really want the favor of these people. Not understanding they will never gain the favor of those people. That's a fact. Nothing's going to change that short of them having an encounter with the Holy Ghost and becoming a born-again believer. They are closed-minded regarding things of Christianity. They are closed-minded about biblical morality. They are closed-minded about the church. And the more evangelical you are, they are definitely more closed-minded toward us than anyone else. This is a type of temptation or test so many face in this society. Being looked down upon by those who consider themselves the wise and the educated Wanting their favor with them just saying babbler behind their back. Now what happens here? In this account, Paul, he teaches about Jesus. 
What was the end result? Chapter 17, verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. That last line in modern English, because I've heard it before, don't ever come back and talk about this again. Now, the first line. When they heard about the resurrection, they mocked. They made fun of Jesus. Let's make this clear. When we talk about creation, about how God created the heavens and the earth, in educated circles, and those who are trying to gain the favor of those in those circles, they're going to think you're a nut. If you look at one of the key moments in U.S. history, if we want to look at a moment where the morality really begins to change, I know so many say when prayer was taken out of the school, I'm going to go back to the Scopes trial when evolution was put on trial. Now we know, hopefully you know, creation won the case. But it's a case of winning the battle and losing the war. Why? Because in their honest attempt to disprove evolution, they raised the profile of evolution to the point where it was now considered an alternative to creation. And from that point on, the educated community turned more and more to something that was anti-God because they were, well, anti-God. So when we look at so many who claim to be wise and philosopher type, they're anti-God. And because they're anti-God, they'll be anti-creation. Because they are anti-God, they will be anti-the virgin birth of Christ. Because they are anti-God, they will be against the shed blood of Jesus, because they are anti-God, they're going to be against the resurrection. Because they're anti-God, they're going to be against the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because they're anti-God, they're going to be against the concept of eternal judgment in the lake of fire. Because they're anti-God, they're going to be against everything in here because it convicts them a teeny bit to the point where they want it done away with. Are we still here? Those who we want to win their favor, they're the ones who really look down your nose and have the views I just talked about. Book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Are we still here? Now, to remember the flow of the book of Acts. After Paul preached in Athens, he went to Corinth. And then, later on, after establishing the church, the Apostle Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians. The first two chapters, kind of interesting. The Apostle Paul 
uses the word wisdom more in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians than he does the rest of his writings. Actually, the word wisdom comes up more in chapter 1 and chapter 2 in the book of 1 Corinthians just about as much, if not more, than the rest of the New Testament. Paul drives home the point about not just the wisdom of the church, but the wisdom of the world. Book of 1 Corinthians. Let's start in verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The wisdom of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we together in this? Let's go one step further. The entire wisdom of God is in this book. From Genesis 1-1 all the way to the last verse in the book of Revelation. This is the wisdom of God. If you have a Bible, this is the wisdom of God. The driving force of the wisdom of God is the events of the Christ, the cross, and the resurrection, for it is the way of salvation. So when we look at the wisdom of God, this is it. So when we talk about what James wrote about, praying for wisdom, I'm of the mind that when we pray for wisdom, We are really also praying for an understanding of this. For this is the wisdom of God. If you want wisdom, yes, pray and the Lord will grant your prayer. But you had better be in this because this is the wisdom of God. And because this is the wisdom of God, this is your answer to all of life's problems. Are we still here? Back to verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. What are we talking about here? We are talking about preaching the gospel, not using the wisdom of this present world. Now understand something. A lot of the philosophy that is prevalent today actually was prevalent when Paul wrote this and when Paul went to Athens. As Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. So there is nothing new regarding the wisdom of the world. Now, what is Paul saying here? I am preaching the gospel. I am not using the wisdom or the philosophy of the world around us. I'm not here to convince you using philosophical debates about the Word of God. As a church, as believers in Jesus, We need 
to not use modern philosophy and modern thought to try to win a person to Jesus. Get what we're about to say. Paul's going to make this clear. The power of God is what will bring a soul to Jesus. Now, Paul is saying, I didn't do this. He was in Athens. No doubt, they tried to convince him of Greek philosophy when he was there. So he knows about the debates. Yet what is he saying? I am not using those things. Why? Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So Paul's message is the simple gospel. How does he stand against the philosophies that was beating him down physically, not spiritually, in Athens and no doubt being taught in Corinth a few miles down the road from Athens. What does it say? The cross of Christ. The gospel message. Verse 18. For the preaching of the cross unto them that perish foolishness. Here is a key point. So often, we look up to those who have philosophies that's against the Word of God. He view what we teach as foolishness. And we put them on pedestals. And we say that they are wise and learned men. What did Paul just call them? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. They are not wise. I know this runs counter to what the media and academia are going to say to you. But it comes down to this. One who does not teach and preach the Word of God, specifically the Gospel message. Those who think we are foolish for teaching this, they're the ones who are foolish. Are we together on this? This does not give you license to go into a classroom and start calling your professor a fool. But it is important for you to keep that in your mind so you don't put them on pedestals as being learned more than, let's say, ministers in the church or those who believe the Word of God. Are we clear on this? We are not the fools they are. Let God 
be true, and every man, those who disagree with the word, be a liar. Let's keep going. Verse 19. Actually, let me finish 18 because I love that last line. But unto us which are said, it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross is what? The power of God. What makes what we believe, what makes it an effective message? It is not the pervasive, wonderful arguments that we make. It is the power of God that brings this to life. Now, let's tie this back real fast to what we saw in James. What was the temptation? Being persecuted for one's belief. Being ridiculed. Being made fun of. Being torn down. Being called a fool. Having them think that you're an idiot making you sweat out your grade, thinking you're going to get a very low grade, understand something. This is real. Even once you leave the major colleges and you go into society, there is a core group out there who tend to believe that anything regarding a church is silliness. I've seen enough in the past of comments. Yes, that's what they think. But when we have the power of God, the power of God will bring a wisdom to reveal to us the message of Jesus Christ, Him crucified, Him risen, Him coming again. Are we still here? The power of God. If you are going to withstand any temptation test like this, you really need one. Let's go twofold here. You really need to know this, which means you're reading this constantly. Number two. Actually, I'm going to go three. You need to be in a Bible-preaching church. And three... You need the power of God. This is a case where the baptism of the Holy Ghost really comes in handy because at that point, it's not going to be your intellect versus their intellect because they're establishing the rules and their rules are kind of rigged against you or you will not win. The only thing we have on our side is the baptism of in the Holy Ghost. Now, where Christians fall into trouble in areas like this is when they allow themselves to become isolated and think they're the Lone Ranger. This is why you need to be in church because the believers can build you up. The leadership of the church, they can help you understand What's going on? Forsake not the assembly of yourself is vital, 
because, one, you can learn the wisdom of God, wisdom of this in church, but you need the support group when you're going through these things. The church is your support group when things are not going well. Are we still here? Verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Who will destroy the philosophy of this world? doesn't say us. It said I, as in God. As in God, through Jesus, will destroy the philosophy of the wise. Now, I know a lot of people will think, well, when is it going to happen? It will happen. We just need to trust in God. Because God said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Those who say that their philosophy, their intellect, their thought is superior. And that anyone who believes any of this Bible stuff is crazy. The Lord has a message for them. I will bring them to nothing. Are we still here? The Lord will fight the battle. Where is the wise? Verse 20. Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Paul is driving home, and this is about as strong of a statement he's making against Gentile actions. The Gentiles, they're the ones who love wisdom, especially the Greeks. They're the ones who think that they're smarter than everyone else. And part of this is dismissing the Christ across the resurrection as if it does not exist. Yet what do we see? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. They are going to consider what we are doing right now foolishness. Any Bible-believing church, they will consider them foolish. If you go out into the streets and witness for Jesus, you will run into people who think that you're crazy. That is part of it. Yet what do we see? The foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Yes, in the eyes of the world, it is going to come across as foolish. But what does the power of God do? The power of God gives 
you the ability to stand. And he will take what the world calls foolish and turn it into wisdom to bring them to Jesus, the Apostle Paul. Granted, it wasn't Greek philosophy, but we could say in his Solitarsus days, his philosophy was very anti-church. Yet what happened? Jesus turned him upside down. Those who were being saved in Corinth, the few who were saved in Athens, those who would be later saved in Ephesus, those saved throughout the Greek world, it was drilled into their head that anything that wasn't a Greek philosophy was foolishness. Yet what happens? When what they called foolish is preached, the power of God changes it into the wisdom of God because the message of the gospel is the wisdom of God. Are we still here? Verse 22. For the Jews require a sign, read the Gospels, they're there. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. And in our society, I would say, once you start getting outside of the church, once you start getting into a non-religious setting, And according to the statistics, the number of non-religious is rising, which means they think this is silly. How else can you explain away Darwin fish on the back of cars? Or how else can you explain a bumper sticker I once saw Born again? Nah, I'm born once. That's enough. I mean, how can we explain stuff like this? Because they think they're wiser than us. Not realizing that what they believe in is wrong. And that's another word I will use. What they teach is wrong. Now, in this society, one might have the right to be wrong. But when they face Almighty God, they're going to find out that the right to be wrong really never existed. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. They'll think it's foolishness. It isn't. Verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. The one that we're paying attention to, the last line, verse 23, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But where does it go after that? But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God, Christ 
the wisdom of God. So, the question becomes this. Who do we go to for wisdom? This is important because the world is going to put as many of us to the grinder as possible, hoping to get us to change our mind, to agree with their philosophy, to agree with their belief. For some, it's ridicule. For others, it's not being promoted or being demoted from their jobs. And understand something, that does happen. It does. Where they lose prestige and raises because their view does not agree with the view of those who claim to be the elite. We have seen so many. The culture tries to cancel them out because they don't agree with their Christian views and they definitely do not agree with their Christian morality. They'll call us old-fashioned, quaint, and a bunch of other things because we believe in biblical morality. It doesn't change this fact, however, that the Word of God is true. That the Word is true, and what we teach is the wisdom of God. And what they teach is not the wisdom of God. Let's read verse 35. This is where we'll probably hold tonight. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. God on his worst day. And no, God doesn't have a bad day. But the phrase will probably be understood. Is wiser than anybody here on earth. Now, what is the problem with so many regarding God? I said it earlier. They don't believe in one. Therefore, since they don't believe in God, they operate in a world where they can do what they want. And if they do not like those who believe in God, they can be very, very cruel to those who disagree. It doesn't change the fact, however, that there is a God. This is the core belief that really separates us from the rest of the world. We believe there is a God. And we believe that God sent His Son to die for our sins. And we believe that that shed blood of Jesus wiped out our sin debt. And we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, we became new creatures in Christ. We believe 
that we will be with Jesus through all eternity with eternal life. This is the heart of wisdom. This is what we need to hold on to at all times. When you face the temptation by those who claim to be wise, you will need this wisdom of God. A knowledge of the Word as revealed by the Spirit. You will need this more and more and more as we go on in these days ahead. This is why we need to be praying for this wisdom. The wisdom that comes from being in the Word. The Lord will grant this to you. But just like in a school setting, it's pretty hard to pass the class without being in class and doing the homework. It's pretty hard to receive wisdom if you're not in church and you're not in the Word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But we need to be in the Word. We need to be in the church hearing the Word. And then when we pray, Lord, give us the wisdom, we will receive this wisdom of the Lord. This is something we should be praying for. This is something that we should desire above anything, well, just about as much as anything else. But are you willing to do what it takes to pass the test? You'll be given the power to pass the test, but you need to have substance that the Holy Spirit can use so you can pass that test. The Lord has given you the power and the word in the church to do so. Rely on these things and you will receive what you're praying for. Let's stand across the church tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. We thank you for your...